welcome to the podcast of Of Course They Make Me Crazy. It's about crazy family stories. We all have one, right? More importantly, it's for those of you living with someone who suffers with a mental illness. You can start to feel lost in their world. Now, I get it. I grew up with a bipolar mom addicted to pain pills. Hoping the stories shared here will help you through difficult days. It's not all serious. We laugh and joke, too. If you have little ones around, pop in your headphones. Adults only, please. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Of course, they make me crazy. I'm April Norris, the host. Okay, so this episode, ooh, it hits my heart. You know, many of you know that I started this podcast uh, because I grew up with a bipolar mother. And when you live with someone with a mental illness, they can certainly wreak havoc on your life. And my mother was one of those victims. She grew up with a lot of ill people around her. Okay. One being my biological father. They met when I was 15. They had me like at 15 and a half years old. Mom didn't have a big, you know, support network. And so she stayed with him and he beat her, you know, he beat the shit out of her. And as a little girl, I I witnessed that a lot. And so I say this hits my heart because joining me today is a strong, strong young woman named Clara Baldwin. Hi, Clara. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate so it. I'm congratulating her because she just published a book titled Pieces Over Pieces Anthology. And I'm having her on because this book contains 16 stories of real domestic abuse survivors. And it also includes her story or... Does it include your story too, Clara, or does it include theirs? It does. It includes mine, and mine is at the end of the book. Okay, okay. So I'm really excited to hear about your book, and I'm so proud of you. I mean, everybody talks about wanting to do it, but it's certainly um, not something everybody can accomplish. So congratulations. Thanks so much. Okay, so first we want to know about you know you, your story. So what prompted you to write this? Yes. Um, So a little about me is I am currently in Kansas City, Missouri, but I grew up in Columbia, Missouri. I'm 24 years old. Um, I grew up facing a little bit of adversity, as you know, and it's a similar situation to yours. I'm actually surprised I didn't know that you went through something similar. But um, yeah, the earliest ages I can remember, um, my dad faced bipolar disorder as well. And I didn't realize that at a young age, he was um, undiagnosed at the time, did not take medication. But I did notice that, you know, as I grew up, I was seeing patterns in his behavior that weren't normal. And the more I went out and spent time with people and their families, I was noticing, you know, abnormal behaviors. Um, He was pretty abusive to our entire family, but mostly my mom growing up. And this was physically, emotionally, financially, all of these you can imagine, which is really unfortunate um, because I actually was like a daddy's girl growing up. I remember just wanting to be around him all the time when I was little. And then suddenly when I just kept seeing his behaviors and then progressing as I got older, I started to become resentful, but no one knew that at the time, like at all, no one in my life, I grew up um, 
what everyone seemed to be pretty normal or a privileged life when I didn't have anything. I grew up pretty poor, um, but I, on the surface, always stayed happy and a bubbly girl at school. I played sports. I was invested in sports a lot. I had friends. I was in extracurricular activities. So yeah, on the surface, I held it in a lot for a long time. Like all of high school, no one knew, not even my best friends. I felt very ashamed, very embarrassed. Um, always try to pretend like my parents are happy. They were married 20 years. I mean, up until I left and my mom left him after senior year. And I remember it was the day after I graduated high school. So that was a little overview of that. But um, of course, that inspired me to now start this podcast. Um, I have a podcast for domestic abuse, domestic abuse survivors, and also a nonprofit that gathers donations to help them get, a, get out of that situation. Because um, it's so isolating and not many people know because of the stigma, how hard it is to get out of the situation. But I started yeah. it to help them, give them donations and transition them to their new life. Right, because your mom ended up staying... Uh, because she didn't have the means to leave plus she had three children but when you all left you were um you have an older sibling right yes I have a brother who's only a year older than me Mm -hmm. okay and then so you all were old enough to kind of go on your own and then you have a younger sibling correct yes and she is four years younger than me okay so um so that's hard, you know, when you have kids. So I think with you guys being old enough to go out on your own with your little sister and your help of saying, mom, we support you, then it made her strong enough to finally go. Exactly. And I think that my mom definitely veered towards me the most um, because I was the most emotional kid. And like, I, I was always upset at the relationship growing up. And I think that in her mind, at one point, she thought keeping a strong, complete family in her mind would be better than to leave and have a broken family. But it got to the point where all of our siblings, I mean, all of my siblings and I, we would just pray and hope that she would leave. And that's just, you know, the saddest thing that women, especially women, not just women, but especially them, they're taught to, you know, not leave. And there's a stigma where there's shame on leaving, especially as a mom. And I just don't believe in it. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, we eventually just told her like, I want you to leave. And I know there's no possible way she could tell my dad that she is. It would have to be means of escaping. And he also kept um, financial control over all of us. I remember when I was like very young, she would come home from work with a paycheck or cash and he would just snatch it out of her hand and like take it and like not say anything. He would just take it, go in the next room and he, she would try and hide money and he would spend days finding it. Like, so just the thought of that. I mean, I just think about that every time I'm like, I talk to a survivor um, because people don't realize that when someone controls you and they're crazy enough to hurt you, they're crazy enough to trap you as well. So it can be a hard oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so he would literally, I think from listening to your podcast, uh, the one where you said, hey, I've been, you know, everybody has been telling me their stories and I'm going to come out and, and tell you you know, mine, which I, I thought was a really good listen. So um, yeah. any of you listening now should probably go listen to that one. But uh, and we'll tell you how to find that, you know, at the very end or in the show notes. Um, but she would, he would come home at three o'clock and you guys were on edge, right? And that's when he'd start throwing punches. I mean, mm-hmm. and she, she started drinking like at what, one o'clock, I think you said in the afternoon, just so, I mean, I don't blame her. Damn. Yeah, I know. It's so tough because 
she dealt with it daily I mean I when I say that it wasn't exaggeration at all like I didn't I physically can't remember one day where you had like a peaceful household and Mm -hmm. the toll that takes on your like your mental health as a kid growing up just constant anxiety and like waiting for it to blow up um so I had a lot of a lot of struggles with mental health like out of high school but I feel like I'm in such a good place now but it took a long time and lots of trauma comes with it um it's just constant abuse and it never stopped so of course she got into drinking I mean who wouldn't because you're trying to numb this or like you know ready for what's going to happen so she started drinking and I just remember 3 p.m was the worst time because that means he got home from work and all like everyone dispersed to their rooms like it was just automatic three o'clock like go away or when I got old enough to drive I was never home I was always at a friend's house I was yeah. you know in parking lots to avoid it I would go to the gym like I'd spend hours at the gym just so I could stay away from home. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine because you were in such a crucial age when this was all happening for you, where I was, you know, I think, I mean, I was little and then I saw it all the way up until I was like six years old. You know, Um, I think I was telling you before we started recording, I remember a time where he busted down the door of our apartment kicked it he's not a very big man I mean he's literally like five something you know skinny as hell they're powerful yeah yeah they but when they're when they're you know have drugs and alcohol in their system and anything else they can they can do some damage and he kicked it down and uh he you know came in swinging and I remember they were on the floor he was on top of her just wailing and I, as a little, I jumped on there. He had this ponytail. So I was telling you, he was like in some kind of like, thought he was like in the Hells Angels or something. I don't know what the hell was going on. It was probably some, you know, poser wannabe group. But um, I literally grabbed his ponytail and I was like pulling on it, you know, girl. saying, get off my mommy. And I'm yeah. sure you're saying that very clearly. And even though you're so little. You, you never forget it. And it's just, it's just heart wrenching. And so I, you know, I'm, and she was so young and, you know, there was some time where we only had like a potato to eat between the three of us, which would be her, my little brother, who's a year younger than me. And uh, because we just didn't have, you know, anything she'd have to, you know, it was that dire because she didn't have a support network at that time my grandmother did end up coming back and and helping her and they got on the way but there was a really you know and it just um she she had no choice but to stay right and um is so I love that you say there was that this point that you wrote in your book that says I feel that it's needed to stop the stigma of why he or she doesn't leave um because you know there's there is a stigma to that and and I think I posed that stigma on my mom for years I mean I was telling you I would I would think to myself as, as a little girl you know as I got older thinking how the hell did you let someone do that to you like why didn't you when he was sleeping drug him because he used to like you know like 
put drugs in her Coke or whatever. And, uh, and then get him while he's passed out, get him good. You know, I don't care. Like you told me like I said last night, hit him with a bat, yeah. you I know, had <laughs> I had the same thoughts, but yes, um, I have this question come up even still all the time in this conversation of why doesn't he or she just sleep? I mean, even friends I have, they don't understand, um, you know, I guess they, they would say, I've never thought of the concept. Like I always just thought like abused people, it was simple and they were choosing to stay. Um, so that's why one of the big reasons I started this nonprofit to fight that stigma, because it, there's so, so much manipulation and other factors that play into it, let alone if you're single with the guy, like just a single couple, when kids come into play, especially that becomes even more complicated. Um, that's even more, more, um, more of a reason they can hold over your head to stay and trap you if you have yeah. kids. Um, but like you'll again, never see them again, you know, if, if you leave yeah, me or. Exactly. And just financially, emotionally, it's all so hard. And I mean, every survivor I talk to, they're like, I just can't believe that was me in my life. It was almost like I blacked out during the whole relationship. And now I've woken up and I'm like, I'm ashamed. Like they always say they feel ashamed and embarrassed. And I just hate that because it's like, it's not your fault. You're blaming yourself still because they've messed up your mind so much. It's not your fault. It's their fault. They were the abusive one. You should be proud. You got out of the situation and pick up yes. yourself and you just have to move on. And just, it's just a shame what, you know, and of course the abuser doesn't feel bad. He could do it all over again. She, she, um, yeah, it's just a tough stigma. I, I really hope to fight it for a long time. Absolutely. Well, I love, I love that you're doing that. And, you know, um, and yeah, I hate that I ever, ever thought that about her just because I, I can't imagine how frozen your mom felt in time, how frozen mine, how frozen many of you listening, you know, probably have felt at some point in your life. And so, well, let's start talking about, um, you know, the, the book and, and so this, is it, is it the sales of the book that are it also is being donated to, to go to your funds? Okay. So, so let's talk about a little bit about your book and, um, and then let's talk about, you know, what it's doing a little bit more in depth of how it's helping other women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just released the book um, last week, or was it this week? I don't know. It's been a, it's been hectic, but <laughs> it's been less than a week uh, since it launched. And in the first day, it sold a lot of copies. It's a hundred percent donation to the fund to help women transition out of their abusive situation and into a new life. Um, but yeah, it's an anthology, meaning I didn't know this before I made the book. I don't know. I wasn't an avid reader. I'm just going to say it. Um, <laughs> anthology is a collection of stories from different people. Um, so I spent the last year and a half finding women and men um, to tell their story. And I'm so grateful for them because they seriously just contributed their story because they wanted to send this message and help other people. Um, mm -hmm. They were not paid to do this. So I am very appreciative of them. And this came solely from their heart. Um, and I know it was very hard for a lot of them to write it. I had to, we had to uh, get on call with a lot of them or we as in me, I'm a one person nonprofit. Um, I had to help them through it because emotionally uh, for some of them, it was the first time they were telling a story. Some of them, it was, um, multiple times they told their story, but they were still struggling emotionally to do it. And they would message me and be like, 
hey, I'm just really struggling to write today. I might not make that deadline. I'm like, it's fine. Please take your time. We pushed back the book over five times, I think, because I did not want to rush this. I wanted everyone to, you know, carefully write down their words and just make it raw. And I didn't want to edit it either. I hired a proofer. So uh, the only thing that was changed is like grammatical things, punctuation. But other than that, all the stories were told in such different ways. It's beautiful. Um, some people wrote poems. Some people wrote like they were writing in their journal, just cuss words and like just really venting. Some people did a formal real like real story written down. Um, so it's very different. And like when I read through it, it was very emotional. And I was just so proud of all of them. And it was like a roller coaster because each story was so, so different. Um, but at the end, everyone gave words of wisdom, what they wish they knew, what they would tell you if you were in that situation. Um, and so it's very inspiring and I'm really proud of them. I feel like my story doesn't even compare, but that one's at the end and kind of explains my upbringing and why all of this started. That's great. Now, were some of them scared? I mean, not scared because they're um, embarrassed of, of what they're putting out in the world that that happened to them. And they're, you know, I, I was interviewing one of my girlfriends who was in an abusive relationship. And she said, I was, I was just, I spent years being embarrassed that I let someone do that. And then, you know, she came back around and said, oh, screw it. And now she just kind of does every, every year she'll do yeah. like a, um, it's been three years since I left, you know, who, you know, congratulations yes. to me and she'll That's put fun. it out there. And, uh, it's, I think it's called finding your light or something of that sort is one of the podcasts I have. And, uh, somebody, you guys should listen to that. If you haven't listened to it, she's, she's so good, but were they scared? Meaning, uh, scared that the abuser was going to hear the story and maybe come, do they, do they still fear a little bit uh, uh, of them coming back? Oh, for sure. Um, I would say half of them are comfortable with telling their story. They put their real name and half mm -hmm. of the people put anonymous or a pen name. So a lot of them were scared or ashamed because no one knows in their life. But they, mm -hmm. regardless, though, all of them were 100% for it, very excited. And a lot of them treated this book as their therapy and their release of it. Um, and a lot of them told me like the trauma feels like it's lifting just from putting that in your book. And I feel proud because it's on paper yeah. and looking at this book, I feel like relieved in a way. Yeah. So just hearing that alone made it so worth it. Um, I'm definitely not doing any of it for money. I take no profits. If anything, I take negative profits, um, <laughs> negative profit, not a nonprofit, um, but the fulfillment I get out of it, out of it compared to my full-time job, it's just incomparable. Yeah, that's, that's great that they did that. You know, I, um, for years, I don't know if I told you this or not, but my mom slept on the couch I, up until she died five years ago, almost five years ago. Yes. She slept on the couch, even though she remarried an amazing man. When I was seven, she oh. would, she slept on the couch because she feared he would always come back and, and, you know, into her fifties. You know, she would feel a lot of trauma and demons. Yeah. She wanted to be able to hear if there was somebody outside. And that's why she slept on the couch so she could hear if he's coming. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's so believable though. I mean, even with my mom, like she is the 
funniest, most bubbly, crazy little woman like you'll ever meet. Um, she's like five feet tall and just such the life of the party. And everyone tells me that um, growing up, my friends wanted to hang with her rather than me. But <laughs> all of that, I mean, she's like a shining star and the darkness she faced after my dad, um, she still deals with it and we have to help her through it. But just psychologically to remember that stuff, even for a split second, it can affect your whole day, your whole mood. And that's why a lot of people are bipolar or, you know, they have a lot of mental health issues after abuse. Um, and it's hard to understand because you don't have that trauma in your head constantly cycling. Um, so I try to remember that whenever I'm talking to someone who might be irrational from trauma, like my mom sometimes, um, you just, you just have to be patient and remember truly remember like they went through so much and a lot you probably don't even know of um, yeah and having those flashbacks like I wasn't even a direct uh victim of abuse with my dad like he did he did physically hurt us sometimes but not in comparison to my mom and yeah. just that alone it's stuff that I have to deal with uh constantly growing up and I have to work on myself and I I find you know irrational behavior in myself sometimes I lose patience I have a temper and it it can be scary it can make you even worse sometimes so just remember that it's natural to feel that way and be understanding of others as well don't make them feel ashamed and so you know you're you're explaining that your mom still has days where she you know and I, I think we all do um yeah. But how is she doing, you know, otherwise? Are you able to talk about that? Meaning that she found somebody that she's enjoying her life with? Oh my gosh, yes. Then I love talking about it because um, I love to, you know, touch on this is that our whole life did a flip. I mean, it was so hard the first two years because I went to college, had no money. I was so stressed out. She went to another city, was basically like, just had no home and all of the siblings are pulling together for her. Um, it was just rough. It was like a roller coaster of emotions all the time. And it was a time where I'm just a freshman in college. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. But I remember she she met a great guy, um, a great guy two years later. And I remember I was scared when she texted me that she had a boyfriend. And she yeah, I would someone. be too. Yeah, I would be like, absolutely no. I hate men. Like, get away from him. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But it's five years later. And oh my gosh, he's like, he treats her like a queen she's so spoiled like we always say she's the kid now and we're the parents she'll come over <laughs> drink her alcohol and leave and be like I'm gonna go on the date and she's just so happy um, she has a restaurant now which was her dream and he supports her in every way like just mostly I'm just proud that he supports her emotionally but you know financially all this stuff she got very lucky and um, he got lucky as well he sure did yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So um, let's talk about how we can find your book. I think you said Amazon yes. and anywhere else uh, on the website, which you can look up piece over pieces. Um, it should just pop up, but yeah, Amazon. Um, my Instagram is at Clara.baldwin and the links there as well. If you want to check that out. Those of us living with people suffering from a mental illness have a lot to deal with too. They're not the only ones hurting. We hurt with them. Having a supportive community is so important to your health. Would love to hear your story too. Email, of course they make me crazy, at gmail.com.